0: politicians are the virus yeah man maybe i am dumb you think you're free you think you're free just because you can't see the cage they keep you in fauci jerked off a pangolin and now we all have covid it's us against them guys get out there and spread that love and liberty let's go how you guys doing welcome to the dad presents thank you so much for joining us good day out here. I'm in a, actually in a good mood. You know, this week, our kids finally got to take their masks off after two years. I'm so, I'm so grateful about that. But you know, the masking rules are gone, yet I've noticed an interesting thing this week already. I pick up my my youngest at elementary school, and I would say 80% of the kids are not wearing masks. But then I go down the street to the junior high to get my, my older kid, and probably 80% of the kids are wearing masks. It's that drastically different between the two schools. 80% of elementary kids not wearing them, 80% of middle school kids still wearing them even though they don't have to. I couldn't make any sense of that. So I asked my son about it, my 12-year-old Keller, and he says he thinks the reason is the older kids are insecure about their faces and the little kids don't care. And that actually makes sense to me which is just one more dumb side effect of these stupid, useless cloth masks that they've had to wear for two years. All kinds of side effects. Another one I hadn't thought of. It's probably produced more anxiety and insecurity in already insecure teenagers. Ridiculous. Anyway, guys, next week, we got a couple doozies for you. We have the beautiful and powerful Hannah Cox. She's amazing. She spoke at the California Libertarian Convention, and she knocked my socks off. She's amazing. You're going to love her. And check this out, guys. We have the world's greatest living advocate for liberty, the great Dr. Ron Paul, a personal hero of mine. I can't wait for that one. So please make sure you tune in next week. Make sure you subscribe to The Dad Presents on Spotify and YouTube and all that. Don't miss those shows. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves because we got a doozy today. We got a doozy of a guest today, and you know, people, people, you know, they often say to me, they they email, they call me up, whatnot. They say, Matt, you know, congrats on the show. It's it's grown so much in the last couple of years. You're 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 a beautiful man. Couldn't happen to a better guy. And I'll say, oh, you know, shucks, man, I'm just a little old humble me. Thank you so much. And then they say, no, nah, don't be humble. You're a beautiful man, and you got them bumps. And I'm happy for you. And I'll say, settle down. You know, I'm a happily married man. All right. Just settle down. And then they'll say, hey, you know, I'm curious. Who's the most popular guest you've ever had? Is it Neil deGrasse Tyson? And I'll say, nope, wasn't him. And then they'll say, well, who was it? Was it, was it presidential candidate, Joe Jorgensen? And I'll say, no, she was popular, but wasn't her. And then they'll say, was it Snoop D-O-double G? And I'll say, no, and we didn't have him. And they say, well, who was it then? And I'll say, it was Lisa Selen Davis. And they say, who? (laughs) And I'll say, Lisa Selen Davis, the author of Tomboy. People can't get enough of this woman. The episode has 45,000 plays. And she's back with us today. So excited to have her. But before we get into that, listen, guys, I I keep telling you no more freeloaders. I need you guys to do me a solid And go subscribe to the show on YouTube, youtube.com slash super bad dad, super bad dad. You can't do it if I say it wrong. It's youtube.com slash super bad dad. Look, man, we're killing it on Spotify. We're killing it on iTunes. But for whatever reason, I can't get no traction on YouTube. Is it because you guys think I'm ugly? You just told me you like them bumps. So what's going on? Please go follow the show. Now, you know, my kids, they watch YouTube. Whenever they get the chance, they're off school today. I guarantee they're in the other room watching it right now. Every single channel they watch, I watch sometimes with them. Every single channel the dude gets on there and then they say some they say the same thing. Smash that like button. They all use the exact same phrase. Smash that like button. Smash that follow button. And you know, maybe I'm just an old curmudgeon. I am an old curmudgeon, but I hate groupthink. I've always hated groupthink. I hate when everyone says the same cool thing I especially hate when every everybody says the same cool thing that isn't even cool like smash that like button so I'm not going to tell you to go smash that like button I'm gonna tell you that you've been abusing your computer all day long I know you perverts you've been you you've been banging away on that thing all day long with your nasty porn so go to youtube and gently press the like button and the follow button thank you guys I appreciate you let's get into the show All right, guys, today we have brought back Lisa Selen Davis. She's the author of Tomboy. Tomboy explores traditional gender roles with our children. Uh, Lisa has had popular pieces in the New York Times and the Washington Post about the subject. And last time she was on, we had a great conversation. Uh, Man, the world's been through a lot since then. That was about 18, 19 months ago. So we wanted to get some updates on Lisa's life, her daughter, all that. Lisa, how are you doing?
1: I'm well. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And as we were were just talking uh, right before we went live here, uh, the last time you were on, we released this and and you're not the typical guest we have. Um, It was released to a moderate sized audience. And then something weird happened where people just kept watching, sharing, growing, growing, growing. And the next thing you know, this is like one of our very most popular episodes. And typically with this show, Um, celebrities and politicians do much better than authors. So I found that interesting. (laughs) I found that interesting that people are still listening to this 18 months later. And I gave it a lot of thought. And I think that people on both sides are are hungry for like nuanced civil conversations. So we didn't really agree. We we agreed on some things, but we didn't agree on everything, but we kept it civil. We listened to each other. I, I listened to what you said. You made me think about some things and I think vice versa. So my question is, do you think civil discourse is dying in this country? And if so, why?
1: Well, I do think that polarization is really choking us. And I I think that obviously it's most pronounced in, in politics where having to be loyal to your party gets in the way of asking, like, what's what's best for the greatest number of people and and that goes totally both ways, Republican and Democrat, and and um, and I think that has now trickled down into you know exacerbated by social media that everything is kind of a test of loyalty to to an ideology, and I think that. I am really among a group of liberals who have been clinging to this word heterodox, you know, meaning uh, not orthodox. You know, we are we consider ourselves lefty in some way, but that there's an ideology now in our party that who that that we don't um, share. So then and I think there are increasing numbers of people who are marking themselves politically homeless. That, that each side has really gotten so extreme that it's made those of us who might've thought of us, ourselves as, you know, radical left or conservative right. And now we're kind of like, wow, I find myself actually in the middle, you know, because the goalpost moved.
0: Yeah. Well, part of the problem is there there's only two choices and Um, I mean, there's only two choices that that get any mainstream coverage. And of those two choices, like if you veer from the narrative on any issue, you get labeled the other thing. Um, I've been called I've been called a communist in some circumstances and also a Nazi, which Uh is ridiculous. So. Which, have what have you been threat. called
1: each thing for? What what got you called a communist and what got you called a Nazi?
0: Well, some of my opinions on on sexuality, for example, and uh, Nazi during COVID when I wasn't uh, not at all down with the lockdowns. So yeah. you know, like you don't, I don't subscribe to left or right. I never have. I used to consider myself to be more of a liberal. Now I would consider myself just traditional libertarian. Yeah. Leaning conservative. But yeah. I didn't change at all. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I've been the same. So it's like the, the parties have gone this way. Yeah. And a lot of people, like you said, are are politically homeless. Um, but then when we get to something like war or bailing corporate bailouts, both those parties seem to come together and suddenly they're unanimous in their opinion. And everybody else with a different opinion is outside of that.
1: Yeah. I was just talking with some people last night about daylight savings time and there's, you know, a move to eradicate it or make it permanent. I'm not sure which which one. Yeah. Um, And that that seemed to be one of the only topics that maybe there were people from both sides agreeing or people from both sides disagreeing, you know, together. And
0: yeah, that's a real unifier. (laughs) They like, everybody hates it. So yeah, it seems like it unifies people.
1: But, you know, I think that what you mentioned was when, when people disagree with you, they slap this label on you. And, and for, for me, you know, in this subject that I'm covering, which is not just gender, whatever the hell that means, but, um, but now I'm pretty heavy into looking at the science around medicating kids with gender dysphoria. And if you, say something like um, well Sweden just issued an announcement that they're really going to proceed with extreme caution about doing this because they reviewed the evidence um, because they had some reports of kids getting hurt and then the response to that is you hate trans people and then mm-hmm. the pile on is oh look at it you know we found another one who hates trans people and it's so it's 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 very, very effective. I think, I think that's why it's so popular is because I think we're, we're wired to be like that. Like we're, we're tribal.
0: Yeah.
1: We're, we're We're tribal. Yeah. So, and, and so it's, it's really easy to just, and it's wonderful to have a tribe and that's, what's hard about being in this situation that I find myself in where I'm pushing back against, you know, people in my own tribe mm-hmm. is that then you it becomes hard to locate your your tribe although right. I think there are enough people out here who are like we need to create an environment where dissent is seen as patriotic, where dissent is seen as as actually caring for children and people.
0: Well yeah, Instead it is. Of, I mean yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I yeah. think it I think it is and I think That when we put ideas into the world, if they don't stand up, you know, and then and if they don't stand up to scrutiny, then we have to evolve those ideas. But by there are so many people saying, don't scrutinize anything. Scrutinizing an idea is hateful. Yeah, Scrutinizing an idea is dangerous. And I think I really I think I really bought a lot of those arguments. And now I I have evolved a little bit. And I'm kind of looking at the way the press is reporting this issue about trans kids, which is such a huge issue right now. And I'm looking at what I know versus what is getting reported. And there's very little matchup. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking like, well, these young journalists, especially, which I am not, um, I really think they believe they got into this because they feel they want to they want justice um which i understand but they want justice for marginalized groups they people have been you know their stories haven't been properly told
0: maybe maybe some of them i think maybe. some of them are just latching on to the cool new thing when we're talking about young people
1: it's true it's hard to know anyone's motivations mm-hmm. but i think like journalism like science has to be about finding some kind of truth mm-hmm. and telling stories even when they're unpopular and i i feel like mostly journalism mainstream journalism and certainly left journalism has really lost its way and
0: and you're you'd be hard pressed to find many people who disagree with that at this point i mean just look at look at the numbers on cnn nobody's watching it anymore like they they were totally exposed i think they became most exposed during that whole joe rogan thing um when they were saying he was eating horse paste that really opened a lot of people i mean joe rogan has an audience of 50 million people yeah, and you can go and listen to everything, so it was an obvious lie, and they didn't retract it, and uh, that started opening eyes. And nobody's watching CNN anymore, so I think I think people have lost faith in <laughs> the media.
1: Maybe they miss Chris Cuomo, maybe, um, they should. <laughs> maybe that's why <funny>. they, <laughs> I,
0: yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, you, you talk about people will throw out names, and they do. And I think the reason people throw down, na- throw out names and accusations like that is because, number one, it is effective. Um, but number two, it's also a way to shut down conversation without actually presenting an argument. You're a communist. You're a fascist. You're a Nazi. These are ways to stop, stop the discussion. Um, and that's fine with dummies running around in society. Uh, cause some people don't always have an argument to present, but when our leaders start doing that, and that's what we have now, that's a problem. The leaders are yeah. now shutting down discussion. And yeah. that seems to be a real problem because people take their cues from their leaders because we are tribal and we tend to look to an alpha. That's just how humanity is set up. Now, a guy like me, like you said, it bothers you. You don't really have a tribe anymore. I get that. That's no- that's normal human behavior. I've always been a lone wolf. I kind of enjoy when people don't like me. I don't know why I'm sick in the head. Um but most people when they're catching hate it makes them sad. That's normal. Yeah. That's yeah. That's This, this normal- is my
1: first time being called normal so thank
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you're normal. Let me ask you let me ask you this. Um your daughter so we talked like a year and a half ago about her. Where is she at now in all of this? How old is she now? Um is she displaying the same kind of behaviors is she going one way or another more so
1: Did i talk about her that much i thought i have tried not to talk about her too much but I, well, if, you don't, if you don't want
0: to talk about her that's fine i'm just um, curious because i mean
1: i don't want these i don't want to i don't want um you know i think that like a lot of writers you know i was before any I, when I had a kid, I was writing about like urban planning, architecture and real estate, which is what I was totally into for years. Oh, and then I had a kid boring. and I <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was fascinating <laughs> at the time. Now I'm like, what? Um, You know, so I started writing about parenting because I think a lot of people do that when they have a kid and then yeah. that's what interests you. So yeah. I think that I have made a lot of questionable choices about what I've shared. And um and I really tried to make my book only very tangentially about her at the beginning and the end. Um, Okay.
0: Hey, let's not, let's not share. I don't want to make you you uncomfortable. No, no,
1: I'll just say like, um, you know, I think that I wrote this book to, to understand gender nonconformity. And I think that what I understand about it is that it's often, but, not always connected to sexuality, especially extreme gender nonconformity, and that it appears in almost every culture, as far as I know, and that in all of these cultures, it is also intertwined with sexuality. So there are lots of cultures. We're calling these people trans in these cultures, but that's really not appropriate. We have cultures with extremely feminine gay men Mm -hmm. and occasionally extremely masculine gay women, though those cultures approve of that less. Here, male femininity is really looked down upon, but there are many, many cultures yeah. where it's accepted and understood. Well, what's
0: interesting, not, not to cut you off, my, my wife is Filipino. She's from the Philippines. The Philippines, which is a super Catholic country, is also the way you're describing. Like they have super feminine men, like everywhere. Yeah. Like that's almost yeah. more normal than a masculine man, which, is, which seems to me to be, interesting that they're that they're so religious and so catholic yet yeah. that they're super gay which i find interesting
1: but they think do they have there like a separate category so that they're not thought of as gay but also if you think about it the gender stuff predates the it, catholicism the catholicism was imposed upon them you know by spain whereas mm-hmm. there whatever they had before that there might have been a more kind of generous understanding of gender yeah, and sexuality it's, it's
0: kind of a thing where um it's known by everybody in society i mean it's unavoidable and and the lady boy situation is yeah everywhere um so it's there but they don't openly like acknowledge it yeah if that makes sense they don't they don't talk about it
1: and i also think I don't know that much about the Philippines, but I think that's where they have the, that's my tomboy beauty contest. So they have this like masculine woman kind of butch slash mm-hmm. trans boy. There's like not a lot of, not a, they're f- very fuzzy boundaries there. And they have this beauty contest and there's, um, and I don't know how much surgery there is or body changing in, in the Philippines. I mean, there's a lot in Thailand, but there are a lot of countries where there's no gender dysphoria, but there are these categories. And the categories, you know, make room for people in these societies and and alleviate whatever kind of tension we have here of when people are performing in some way that we don't expect because of their sex. So I think there's a lot we can learn from other cultures about gender nonconformity. And I don't think this current kind of movement about like, and I know many people would disagree with me, but I don't think that this movement about, you know, trans kids and pronouns and language and dead names and et cetera, necessarily gives us a deeper understanding of gender nonconformity, because I think that these variations are natural and normal and appear everywhere. I think the problem is the kind of meaning that adults make of it. So I will say that, like, I've been very consistent in absolutely supporting both my kids in how they want to look and what they want to wear. And, um, and that, you know, they have the bodies, they have don't determine like what they want to do or who they want to be friends with or who they're going to be attracted to. Mm -hmm. And my, as my goal is to just like, leave it open and, you know, kids in, I mean, up here in the Northeast, but I'm sure all over the country there's a, just seems to be a, an obsession with mm-hmm. which letter of the alphabet yep. are you, what is yep. your sexuality? Like from a very young age. And so I just feel like no hurry. You know, you mm-hmm. figure you love who you love. you figure it out. We don't care, you know, how they identify or what's in their pants. Like I'm just yep. trying to create this to continue the acceptance of like ambiguity and normalizing that and like we'll see what happens. So yeah, yeah so you're I'm not
0: you're not familiar. pressing what you encourage from what I gathered from your book and talking to you last time is you you don't like uh, gender roles, uh, gender norms, which I'm on board with like normals, like I said, it's kind of boring, but it seems to me that opinion kind of puts you at odds with the trans community because what we're seeing now is if a boy wants to play with dolls and maybe he dr- tries on mama's shoes they want to start pushing him towards you're a girl which doesn't seem healthy to me when my when my 6-year-old when my firstborn was 6 he used to call himself Spider-Man Keller okay he thought he was Spider-Man he would go to school the teacher called him Spider-Man Keller we have video of the whole school singing happy birthday Spider-Man Keller this went on for a year and a half. Okay. If it was him saying I'm Katie and I'm a girl, they would have wanted him on in this state. They would want to want to put him on hormones and start the transition. I don't think we should (laughs) Well, pretty early. And I don't (laughs) think we should be, we should be doing that to kids. So let me, let me back up what I said. You know, you're, you're, you believe in Allowing children to figure it out for themselves. You don't believe in in gender roles, roles like boys can only play with trucks, girls play with dolls. Are you at odds at all with the trans community and the direction they've taken?
1: Well, I don't think it's just the trans community because I think what we've seen is like a huge, a massive zeitgeist shift in terms of like what people believe, many people believe about sex and gender and what's being taught in schools. And I also think there's a fervor, there's a real worry I think about the mental health of these kids and wanting to save them. And, and, and I think a lot of this is based on misinformation. Um, So I would say that like, nothing is that as simple as I'm at odds. I think there, and I think trans people are a heterodox group themselves and they believe many different things. And there are many, trans adults who are very happy they transitioned, who are quite concerned Mm -hmm. about this kind of fervor and what they see as a rush to medicalize. And I think we also don't just, we use this term trans kids, but it's a being trans doesn't require medicalization itself. So we're really talking about this condition called gender dysphoria and how do you treat it? And We're often told in this country that there's medical and and psychological consensus about how to do it, that if you have a a six-year-old who's very insistent, you know, despite being male, oh, I am a girl, that you should socially transition that child. Well, it turns out, you know, that that's, it's not true that there's consensus and that's quite a contentious topic because chances are, if you do affirm that prepubescent child, and say, yes, you're a girl and allow them to live, you know, both as a girl, the way st- girls stereotypically look or, or are treated, which to me is fine. I think go for it with however your gender expression and don't force a kid to look or, or behave a certain way or do certain things because of their body. But when you actually say, yes, you are a girl. You're really increasing the likelihood of very intense gender dysphoria at puberty. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're in some ways, you may be laying the path for medicalization there. So it's not yep. clear what you you might be relieving quite a bit of anxiety and depression at the at the moment, mm-hmm. but you might be making things a lot worse and in a way that requires pretty intense medical intervention later. So yes, you're clear. saying
0: you're saying saying that there's possibility if you're affirming it at age six, that's affirming something that might not even be there. And then they are 12 and they're on they, they get, they're still convinced. So maybe just, we could just let them figure it out, like not try to push them in either direction and they might work it out themselves. Like from what I understand, something like 95% of really young kids who exhibit behaviors like this, they turn out just to be happily gay rather than wanting to change their genders.
1: I mean, it's different in different studies and there are studies where, you know, 93% persist and there are studies where 88% desist. And there's, um, you know, some confusion over the methods of these studies and the biases of the people who conducted the studies and the quality of the studies. But I would say that I, I believe we have 10 or 11 studies that show that that on average um that there are very high rates of desistance and something around 70 65-70% end up being gay but that but that in those cohorts there's still 10-12% who grow up to identify as trans and these are people who weren't affirmed so if you affirm them the rates of persistence will be much higher and I think the question this brings up, which I find to be like a fascinating philosophical question is like these kids were in these studies. The, the approach was what was called watchful waiting, which was not affirming it was giving them lots of therapy. Um, some people didn't like the methods because some of the therapy was like, try to be comfortable in your own body. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of too, too bad that that's been politicized. Cause I think trying to be comfortable in your own body is very, very, for me, it's been very difficult. So I wish I'd had a lot of therapy about trying to be comfortable in my body, but, um,
0: I mean, isn't that a lesson every single, uh, motivational speaker gives like love yourself. Isn't that like step one? Why is that? I mean, it's a complicated
1: argument that you need to radically change yourself to be your authentic self. But again, I go back to like the reason we have cosmetic surgery is because it, brings people happiness, whether it's to make you look more like the opposite sex or just to lift mm-hmm. your jowls up. Yep. You know, well, why do you I, do that? You know, I don't, make you feel I don't
0: see a ton of difference, honestly, between getting a breast enhancement or getting them taken off, right? Yeah. It's, it's all kind of the same thing. So I don't, there's no problem with that, but yeah, you're going back to the affirming thing. I don't think you want to encourage people to cut their breasts off until they're a hundred percent on this. Like let's, let's see what other pathways are. It's like, it's like with my neck, right? I've had, I had 11 spine surgeries by the time I was 28. Doctors were just, they were just pushing spine surgery on me. Number one, it's a lot of money for them. Um, and that's what the medical industry does. It, it, it pushes towards the most expensive solution. Um, none of them helped and I've gotten better since then by choosing alternative treatment oh. methods and, and whatnot. Like, why do, why do we have to jump to the most dramatic outcome, uh, changing gender? Cause that's permanent. And there are cases where people are very unhappy with that. And if you even mention that that exists, you're right wing. Well, yeah, it's, you know, so reality is right wing. Like there are people who are unhappy. So let's, let's talk about this and let's, let's, let's examine all the steps before we get to 10.
1: That's what I think, Wade. Like, let's put all the cards out on the table and then arrange them into piles and see what we have. But we have people saying, like, no, don't put, don't put the cards out. Don't show the cards. And, and what I, is
0: the what? Why is that? Do you think?
1: Well, I think the corollary is like uh, the NRA not wanting anyone to collect data about guns and shootings and stuff. Right. I don't know how that happened, that they lobbied and now we don't have any databases about gun violence. But they don't want that because it would spur regulation. And I think it's I'm very you know, I understand that it's tough to make these comparisons because it's like they think they're saving kids lives. And I'm comparing it to like protecting you know,
0: well, it's, it's not shooters, hard, actually, but... because, well, you're looking at that from a liberal point of view. Yes, a, conservative, I <laughs> a conservative would say uh, the guns are saving lives, right? They'd present uh, the, yeah. the opposite mm-hmm. argument. So they say, yes, it's a similar argument. And that's where guys like me come in and say, well, let's get government out of the business of gender and guns. Well, the, that's the, I mean, there are so many that,
1: all of this brings up these huge philosophical questions that we can only answer if we're committed to having robust debate and honoring dissent, and you know, tr- feeling like we can not just defending our positions um, and not engaging in ad hominem attacks. And I think That's what is government, have. what is government for, is part of the question. And I definitely don't want. I don't like the idea of these like government regulations of healthcare, and I don't and I don't think these bans are a good idea. Um, and for a lot of reasons, including if they can ban this, what else are they going to ban? Um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, I don't think that's their job. I think we have other, you know, I don't. But I also think then the medical community has to be responsible, which is we can look at what's England just issued this big report and they actually set to expand this kind of gender care, but they also said the, the American affirmative model is full of holes and that the evidence is very low quality for transitioning these kids. And we need more research and and more and better research. And that's what Sweden said. And that's what France said. And they all said, like, we really have to do a lot of, evaluation and a lot of therapy and we don't have because we don't have socialized medicine we don't have um first of all they have to pay for this stuff so if they're spending a lot of money on it and they're finding that people are regretting or unhappy you know then it's on then that's a problem for them whereas here especially in states where there's a cap on how much you can sue for, or we have the informed consent model where you've given away your right to sue, you know, you collected your a hundred dollars for your, you know, bottom surgery. I mean, a hundred thousand dollars and, you know, they can only sue you for whatever, 80,000, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. The numbers are all bigger than that, but, um, I think it's, I think our system is so broken here that it's very hard to do what these other countries have done, which is say, let's just like get a person who has no investment in this, but is really well-trained at reading studies and have Mm -hmm. them read all the studies and then come back to us. And, and most, not every time, because I think some country, I can't remember. I saw a thing today that's, I think Spain did the same thing and came to the opposite conclusion. So But we haven't done that here where we've we don't have a body, you know, maybe it should be the Surgeon General or the NIH or whatever Rachel Rachel Levine works for. But, um, (laughs) you know, somebody needs to just not just review all the evidence, but really do a thorough nonpartisan um, cross ideological investigation Looking at, we've only been doing this fifteen years. The first pediatric gender clinic opened in two thousand seven. Let's try to gather all the data we can. Let's interview as many people as we can. If if we do this, and it's like, oh, there are only twelve, though there are only one hundred detransitioners. You know, there's a paper on one hundred detransitioners. So it's like, all right, maybe those are the only ones. Maybe mm. we've transitioned, you know, fifteen thousand children, and we have one hundred. Regretters, and we're good to go. I don't think that's going to be the case, but uh, you know, we need it does need to be scrutinized. Needs to I be scrutinized.
0: Think, we need yeah, the data. Yeah, we need the data. I, I agree with all that. We need the data. We need an examination of it. The only thing I don't agree with is it seems you're kind of building the case that they can do it in those other countries because of socialized medicine. And from where I'm sitting, our our medicine is mostly socialized already, and it's the entire reason. Our healthcare system sucks, but that's a different argument. That's not why you're here today. Let's not get into all that. I work in healthcare. Uh, I could go on for for hours of that. Let's not do that. Okay. I, I want to know about these countries. Um, do okay here. This has become a trend. There's no doubt about it. There's definitely some kids. Some kids are transgender. Some kids have gender dysphoria. Like all of it's real. I know it's real, but it's also real that it's become trendy and cool. And I know that to be a fact because my twelve year old had his first date this past weekend. It was sweet. It was it was super cute. But his girlfriend is non binary bisexual. Okay, fine, great. At At twelve, she's a virgin. She's twelve. She's a virgin, right? So we talk about this. He said every single girl at his school, besides five girls that he could count are non-binary, which is a mathematical impossibility. We're talking about 400 girls. You're telling me 395 of these girls are non-binary girls. and, And I know it's not real because I asked him about the boys and he's like, yeah, there's like three of them in my school. So it seems like girls will latch on to fads a little easier because they're more susceptible to social pressure from their friends and this has become trendy and it's not trendy for boys cuz they don't they see it as being I don't know weak or uncool or whatever right so are we are they seeing that in countries like Sweden and these other places where they're talking about it more openly yes
1: yeah it's most western countries that have good records you can see so they have social medicine, so they have actual records mm-hmm. of who's come to the clinic. And, and also, by the way, like the only that's how we can tell, like who comes to the clinic, what people are just doing or declaring at school. We don't have records of that because they haven't shown up to get treatment. Right. But the the, the demographics of people showing up to clinics have wildly changed. I mean, it's it's a huge number. And some of that is like when you, you know, when a treatment becomes available then you then you create a market you know i mean that there are some of that is normal like oh this is available now i always wanted this but it didn't exist um it's also many many more boys but but the like a lot more boys than there used to be Mm -hmm. and 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 a co a a pretty like not a well understood cohort many both boys and girls many on the autism spectrum and many. And I would say this is different from just like everyone at school being non binary. This is people should, in, in distress and seeking help. And they, um, many, many gifted kids. It, it would be very interesting to study if it wasn't so politicized. I think we would be like, oh, it's, you know, hey, what's happening? But it is politicized. But it, it, it went from a small number of mostly prepubescent boys and the occasional adolescent boy. And every once in a while, an adolescent girl to an explosion of teenage girls and more mm-hmm. teenage boys and adolescent yeah. onset gender dysphoria was pretty rare before. So I think there are many, many things going on. And I, I think they haven't been examined. And in my book, I really trace like how, how childhood got hypergendered. And when you have this combination of, you know, Everything is divided into boy, your pencils are boy and girl, all of your toys, all of your colors. Like When I mean, everything is like, really intensely divided into boy and girl, you have that for the first time. I mean, it, it built over a couple of generations, but by uh, the, you know, around 2003, it really mm-hmm. intensified. So okay. though, you, you have those... Well, I was just going to say, you have those kids mm-hmm. and then you have those kids being taught something that kids have never been taught before, which is that gender is a feeling and it's how much you feel like a boy or a girl. And so you have this combination of kids raised in a hypergendered environment who don't know about gender roles, norms, or stereotypes being told that gender is a feeling. Do you feel like a boy or a girl? Well, gee, a girl is someone who likes this pink pencil and this pink panda and mm. this right. So, how much does that? How much does this combination of this ideology that gender is a feeling, that gender identity, that each person has like a gendered soul, and this hyper gendered ch- childhood? You know, what kind of reality did this collision create? And I haven't found anybody studying that.
0: Well, you just hit at the entire crux of. The problem is gender is now a feeling. Um, It's not clearly defined. And at the same time, feeling like a girl means you like these things that are associated with girls. Yet girls can like whatever they want. Boys can like whatever. It seems like a giant circular paradox with no with no rules. Yeah. Um, yeah and that's the crux of the problem like there's there's no rules to the game i maybe we'll figure that out. Maybe they don't want us to figure it out. uh society's crumbling all around us. It's starting to feel intentional. That also is another discussion uh what you were talking about uh uh gender roles in in the last century that's what we hit on the last time mostly uh it's a year and a half later. i want to ask you do you, do you feel that has that gotten has it, it seems to me that's changed like now we have these toy stores where you have rules about gendered aisles and whatnot kind of, to me, it feels silly. I have no problem with it. It feels silly, but do you feel it's changing in the way that you want?
1: Um, I feel there are, we have made some progress and I can understand why it seems silly to you to not have a boy's toy aisle and a girl's toy aisle. But to me, I think that's important because, you know, the reason we started having boys' toys—that's really hard to say—and girls' toys, you know, in in the, at the turn of the 20th century, was very much about was very rooted in homophobia and very very like much about oh shit we got to start early to make these boys be properly macho and we and we better make these girls like figure out that their job is to tend house right away, and so I think that while there are some innate differences and average differences between boys and girls and average different skills, the truth is that we, children learn most by playing. So the less we can make them feel like they're not allowed to access something because it's marked as for boys or for girls, the better. I feel like if my, you know, I don't share the, like, let's have words have no meaning part of this, you know, let's like, who knows what, uh, pronouns now are about feelings and not about you know some kind of reality and, and and girl and boy now is about a feeling and I'm not advocating for that I'm saying stuff colors toys clothes could be less gendered and I am I I'm actually advocating for de-emphasizing sex and gender and just kind of making it like, let's Mm. have a beach childhood. And I'm not saying not to, to pretend that children are not don't have sexed bodies at all, but I'm, you know, I'm not saying that there's no such thing as male children and female children. And that's why like, I have a little overlap with some other movements and also places where I veer away, because I think it's important to have, Some kind of reality like that biological sex exists, you know? And so I I do I do see some progress, you know. They there used to be boys' toy of the year and girls' toy of the year, and now there's plushie of the year and you know, building toy of the year. And yeah, why why would we mark those things as gendered when they all build different skill sets and we want our kids? So I think there is some progress, but it often gets like looped into a discussion of gender identity. Mm-hmm. And I'm rarely talking about gender identity. I, I don't think the reason to not gender toys is because it might upset some kids who have a gender identity different from their sex. I'm saying this is about all kids. It doesn't matter how you identify or what your body is.
0: Okay. I, I understand that. Um, First on the rule, I, I don't ever recall stores where they would say boys toys, girls' toys. It's just that you would have, here's the dolls, here's the trucks. Like I don't, anyway, may, maybe there were stores well, like that. I don't it's recall.
1: Definitely, definitely online. Right. So when you go, this is kind of interesting. If you go to the Disney site, you can search for, for boys' toys or girls' toys. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot to turn the notifications off. Sorry. Um, so when you, when you go, when you, When you go to a website like Disney, Mm -hmm. you can search for boys toys or girls. That's true. You
0: can do that on Amazon too. You can type in boys toys and certain things will pop up. It's a good point. But
1: what Disney did to appease both those who want there to be that those different sections and those who don't is they kept that, but everything comes up everything, but three things. So when you search boys toys, it's still going to put an Elsa doll up there. Okay. Um, and to me, that's like, fine. That's, that's fine. That's I don't want I don't want to
0: take any parenting cues from Disney, but that is reasonable <laughs> and, and, and good for them on that. Um, I've my, um, talk about evolution. My evolution with this is, is kind of going in the reverse. So 20 years ago regarding toys. And I remember having a, a conversation with my buddy when we were both about to become parents and I thought he was ridiculous. He didn't want his son to have a, a uh, kitchen at home, like a little play kitchen that his wife wanted to get because he thought it would make him gay. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I used to think like you're born with a sexuality. It doesn't matter how you raise them. Now with what I've seen with all the influences in society and the pressures on these kids, I'm starting to question that. And I think certain pressures and certain ways we talk to our kids will encourage them to explore things they would not have otherwise, which could actually lead to uh, an awakening of something that wouldn't have otherwise been there. So I'm start I'm starting to wonder if maybe the toys they do play could have an effect on their sexuality. I don't know.
1: It's funny because that that was the kind of moral panic when, when as the field of sexology developed. You know yes. that like oh my god, we better keep them from being gay.
0: Exactly, and, and that now- seems that and- seems dumb. That seems dumb but I'm starting to question that just from what I'm seeing.
1: Well, I think it's interesting because now there's like this panic about if we introduce these ideas about gender identity and tell them that they can be whatever they want, that like that, then we're going to create all these confused trans kids. And there are all these trans people saying it's innate and you can't, you know, you you can't affect that the same way that we would have argued that about sexuality. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that there's, I mean, I think what's so different about, again, I just think we're so, so poorly educated about this. And, yeah. and also that, and also there are so few truths to cling to when it comes to sexuality and gender. Few, few
0: absolutes, I think. Few, I, very few yeah.
1: absolutes. And I don't think Americans are very good at nuance or, no, no you know, ambivalence terrible. or, you know, ambiguity. So, you know i i have talked to quite a few people whose kids have young kids have gone to school and had these gender identity lessons and read the books about he was born a girl but then he realized he was a boy or vice versa and and sometimes nothing happens and sometimes get, the kids get quite upset or confused or then they ask everyone You know, second graders to identify which are you, and then and then someone says the opposite of what they are biologically, because they're kind of going by oh well you know they're going kind of going by stereotypes and how much they adhere to them or or don't, and you know so will that will that awaken something that's already in them or will that plant a seed that wouldn't have been there otherwise? And I I have yeah I don't I don't know either, but I. I do know that, um, you know, some people say that everyone has a gender identity and that those of us who think we don't have a gender identity, just don't know it because it matches our body. So we can't tell that we have one, you know, I mean, there are some, there are people are good at making arguments, but I think, you know, deciding that a boy and a girl is a social category and not a biological one. And then and then expecting the whole world to adhere to that strikes me as k- kind of un-American, like well, I, ig- ignoring,
0: I, like pretending biology is not a thing is just dumb. That's where, that's where people will just throw away all your arguments. When you start talking about like biology is not real. Like there's no, there's nowhere to go from there with that discussion. That is not a good starting point for them to take in the conversation.
1: <laughs> it's tough to respond to for sure. You know, there are extremely gender non-conforming people who are like that completely naturally. The kids we're seeing today generally aren't those people. And I didn't really look at that cohort in my book because I'm I was inspired by my own experience in my family. And I was asking about like that kind of kid. Um the these other kids who are playing with ideas of gender and experimenting and figuring out their identity. I, you know, I think all that is very normal, but I think it's gotten mixed with this way of seeing the world, which makes a lot of sense to some people and makes absolutely no sense to other people. And I would like, of course, I would like everyone just to think what I think that would be fantastic, but I know that's not going to happen. So what I keep saying is like, how do we accommodate opposing ideologies and and what is the school supposed to do you know we're having all these laws about schools and battles and it's like and it's like well each one is saying you're forcing your views on me but i'm like yeah you're all trying to force your views on on everybody else but do we have anything we can cling to as real and while i and while there are very 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 rare intersex conditions that slight like confound the notion of sex to a certain extent although you know that like it doesn't mean that sex isn't real and binary for the vast majority of humans so i i would like us to start with that you know okay. but yeah. at this point i was just like w- working on a, a a book proposal and it, you know about gender rebels and about like people who anyway sounds like the same book but it was a different project a kid's book and i was like i can't i can't i can't put boys and girls in here i can't like no one will take this if i'm only talking about boys and girls and yet i'm talking about historical figures right Mm -hmm. so i wanted you know and it would be good if we could have some kind of shared reality but if we can't what are, what are we going to do? Either we're going to be in an endless culture war, vicious, brutal culture war fought by two sides, which are both behaving inhumanely, as far as I can tell, or you're going to get a coalition of people who are like, all right, we don't live in the same reality, but we live in the same world. So let's sit down, you know, and You'd have to want to do that. There's so much rhetoric on the kind of trans activist side, though, of no debate. And if you disagree mm-hmm. with me, then I cannot talk to you again. So that becomes, you have to find the people, the people who want to do that. But again, those people then get labeled as traitors. Yep. You know, it's- those trans people that are like, yeah, let's sit down and hammer it out. And then the, then they get rejected by their own community.
0: Yeah. There's, there's a lot at play here. Like number one, most people are not comfortable with change. So there's no doubt to me, there's people out there who are, are trans, but this is a new thing. Most people are not comfortable with change. Another thing is that sex in this country in general has been stigmatized, whether that be religion or it's human nature or whatever it is, it's stigmatized. So it makes things uncomfortable. Then on the other side, these people are so militant there's just no room for nuance, which turns off everybody. And also there's no rules around the, the whole thing. So you can't even, if, if you're a conservative or you're not a trans person, you're just trying to be a good person and just go along to get along. You can't even do it because it's so confusing at this point And there's no rules. Here's what I think at this point. There's all kinds of people in the world. There's all kinds of people in the world. We're, we're out there. It's not as simple as we thought it was. Um, and there are very few absolutes about this stuff, and too many people think that they know, and I don't think we know very much yet. I think we're at the beginning of this, and everybody needs to relax and do a better job of listening. The one thing <clears throat> the one thing I will say is talking about the schools, I think the schools need to butt out. This is like I know a lot of teachers, they're not the smartest people in the world. They're not capable of raising my children, like teach them math teach them English, teach them history. The schools just need to separate themselves from this. So then let me, so that takes me to this new Florida bill. Mm -hmm. I I read the bill. I rarely read a bill, but this was so controversial. Doesn't seem awful to me. It basically seems to me they're, they're saying what I'm saying, get out, get out of the way where it became the don't say gay bill seems to me to be just exactly what I'm talking about. No room for nuance. What is your take on this bill?
1: So I I didn't read the whole bill, but I read a lot of the bill also. And I um and I I I really think it's terrible that the media, the mainstream and 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 liberal media refers to it as the don't say gay bill, because that's not what it's called. And and by calling it that, you have told everyone to hate it. And I see all my friends writing gay, 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 gay on the thing. And I'm like, well. If you read it, it says, don't have discussions about gender or sexuality, gender identity or sexuality until fourth grade. Well, I don't know what that, the problem with that is who knows what that means. Does that mean you can't read, you know, a book with, with like two moms? Like that's not cool because they're going to be kids in the, in the school with, who have two moms. So, sure. you know, the problem is the looseness of that, but that's.
0: Well, that's what government uh, always does. <laughs> it's the, always. And loose. the other.
1: The other thing, so so the the problem, there's nothing wrong with not having a lesson about sexuality until fourth grade. What what's to object to about that? I don't I don't need my kids to have sex before then. But the problem is that can be interpreted any number of ways. And it can be interpreted to persecute a teacher for reading a, a book that has like, you know, two mommies in it. And for me, I'm I don't, I don't want that. I don't. I don't want the teachers to live in fear and people, there are, people are, do live in all kinds of families and I do think they should be represented. So.
0: Hey, you're not wrong there. That, I mean, it does seem it leaves that open. Like I wouldn't think people, people would take it to that extreme, but that's what government does. They make these, these bills vague and then they'd enforce them how they want to. So it does leave that possibility open.
1: Yeah and I think they they have shown that they'd be willing to, to to take it to that extreme but I think the most important part is that the vast majority of the bill is about making sure parents are aware of their children's mental health issues and I think the bill is about kids changing names and pronouns and identities at school and schools keeping this information from parents. And I have tried to pitch so many articles and op-eds around this because I ended up interviewing a lot of parents whose kids were transitioned at the school and the kid, kids with pretty complex mental health problems. And let's remember, yep. a lot of kids are having mental health problems right oh, now. Yeah.
0: More than so, ever, more than more ever, more than ever, you and that, and that's where I, that's my, you know, like Obama's line in Syria. This is this is my line. Like, you cannot do that to children without without the parents' consent. Like, that's just everything about that. There's no argument for that, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Well, this this goes back to the to the kind of misinformation. So they're doing it because. They think that the parents aren't going to be supportive and they think that the kids will be safe. And part of this goes back to like the, just the kind of fragility of this generation that like, they can't ever be made to be uncomfortable. They can't ever be offended, you know, this, that, that you're, that we're saying that if a parent is like, we're not changing your name or we're not like taking over puberty blockers or hold on, like you say you're trans, but you you have an eating disorder. We mm-hmm. need to deal with that first yeah. that those parents are being seen as abusive. Right. And so the school has and who an gets obliga- to decide that and who gets to decide that, but the school mm-hmm. does have an obligation if they think the child is, is, I mean, this is what's ironic about coverage of what's happening in Texas and all these kids are, these parents are getting CPS called on them Well, I ended up interviewing parents who had CPS called on them for not affirming their children. So this is what I mean by each side is totally bananas right Mm -hmm. now. And these, this idea that parent, that teachers have to save the children from their terrible unaffirming parents, because they believe this idea that 50% of trans kids will kill themselves if they're not affirmed. And the actual suicide rate from robust data that looked at 6,000 people in Sweden over many, many years, the suicide rate was 0.6%. The suicidal ideation rate is pretty high among kids with gender dysphoria. It's the same as kids with bipolar disorder or bipolar oh, really? so it's a, it's high because these kids are having like a number of mental health problems generally mm-hmm. so we don't know that the gender dysphoria is why they're fixating on suicide and and even you know and we don't have good data about what the actual suicide attempt rate is because it comes mostly from these like low quality surveys um that so it doesn't, it's not like perspective, like, oh, look, we had a hundred kids come to the clinic. This many went through the treatment. This many didn't, this many attempted suicide. We don't have good data. So yeah. these statistics have been thrown around that if you don't affirm them, they're going to kill themselves. And sometimes I wonder where not- you
0: say they don't have good data. I question if that's true or if they just misrepresent the data, because that's what we saw during COVID. The data was misrepresented. All that's coming out now. Um, it seems like there's just some people who want to have their way and they're going to do whatever they need to do to get their way. Well, the
1: the issue is, and I don't know that much about this, but the issue is about survey science. So a lot of this data about trans kids comes from this 2015 transgender survey and they're doing another one. and I looked at the questions and you can see that the questions are designed so that you to to get certain kinds of answers, first of all. And what they asked were like, did you want hormones? Did you get hormones? And then like, you know, how did you commit? Obviously not. Did you commit suicide? But did, did you feel suicidal? Did you attempt suicide? And then they correlate those things. There's no way to establish causation, but they look at that and then they say, Oh, this person, yeah. you know, wanted puberty blockers and didn't get them. And their mental health is worse. Therefore not getting puberty blockers makes your mental health worse. But
0: yeah, there's, well, here's the crux of it, right? That's you're, not
1: how it works, no, right? We, you're we talking, don't know.
0: You're talking, you've, you, you've talked about gender dysphoria a few times. The crux of it becomes, yeah. If you're bipolar, if you're schizophrenic, you're more likely to commit suicide. So if you're gender dysphoric, and
1: autistic and autistic
0: and autistic, if, if you're gender dysphoric and autistic, are you, are you truly transgender or is there something else going on? And that's the first thing that needs to probably be figured out before we start classifying and, and doing hormones and determining this person tried to kill themselves because they were not affirmed. It might be something else going on there.
1: Well, I wouldn't even say truly transgender. I would say, where is your just gender dysphoria coming from and what is the best way to treat it? Yes. And, and, and I what don't think the best think, way to
0: treat it. That, I don't that's a think word.
1: that, I don't think that. And I think, and you mean, you need, I am not qualified really to be talking about this, but I, having interviewed you know hundreds of people now about all this stuff, there's a big difference between suicidal ideation and suicide attempt and there's a very big difference between a suicide attempt and committing suicide, and that most people who are engaging suicide attempts are not actually wanting to kill themselves. So, you know, and there's a very high rate of suicidal ideation and attempt among autistic people, and the vast majority of people with gender dysphoria these days are autistic, and That's there's a big over, overlap between autism and transgender identity. So again, it would be great to study it, but it's so politicized. It's hard to study. And there are many questions to be asked. And I think we have far more questions than answers, but this political environment on both sides, I mean, both the people saying like, it's very clear and we have to, all these kids are going to die unless we give them hormones right now. And if you take their hormones away, you're you're murdering children. You know that rhetoric on the left is terrible. Ar- ar- like arresting parents for doing what they've been told is life-saving, is is abominable, and it does not create this environment that I'm talking about. Of like, what are we? Go- what are we going to do? We are <laughs> in a mess. We you are, know, in, we a are mess. in a mess. And and most people on the left who are not on board with this ideology do not feel safe speaking up and parents of these gender dysphoric kids who are demanding hormones some of them are you know in a hospital for anorexia and then have a 20 minute intake with a social worker who then calls the parents and says you need to put your kids on hormones right away you know this is i i've i've heard a lot of stories i haven't been able to share with the world it's like these kids are not getting properly evaluated. We we don't know how to help them, but we should be asking. We shouldn't be so certain. We should be curious. We should be concerned. I just, I think that the extremities of the right and left are just making that impossible.
0: They are, you're a hundred percent right. We're not, it's not gonna get better until people start becoming civil and start having conversations like this. And what you think and what I think is not even that far apart, we don't totally agree, but the people on the extremes need to have the ability to come together and talk about this stuff and exchange ideas before we we're, we're, we. I said this about two years ago that we were ramping up towards possible civil war and possible cessation and people would laugh about that. People don't laugh about that anymore. It seems to be the direction we are going and the media is pushing us in that direction. Our politicians are pushing us in that direction. Most of our leaders are doing that. People need to go somewhere to learn how to communicate with one another again. It all starts with communication. So you've been a great sport. Um, we're, we're out of time. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure this isn't the the type of show you're typically used to doing. I, I appreciate you coming on, talking to me about this stuff. Um, hearing from you makes me reconsider some things or at least think about them in a different way. So thank you. Um, where can people get your book? Where can they read more from you? Look into you all that.
1: Well, the book is available anywhere. It's called Tomboy. It's out in paperback now. It's got a really cool paperback cover. And I have a Substack now, which is um which is that, you know, for independent journalists. And I'm on Twitter at Davis, um, you know, espousing my nuanced heterodox views.
0: Substack, <laughs> Substack might be the thing that saves us. Like it's the only place where you can get honest reporting now. Like I, Glenn Greenwald, uh, Matt Taibbi, these are guys I've always respected. These are guys who are largely considered, were considered liberal. Now they're like Fox News guys because the left yeah. has rejected them.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and they can share their ideas on Substack and many other journalists who are not beholden to an ideology. So yeah, guys, check out, check out Lisa's Substack. Check out lots of Substacks. Read up stop educating yourself on CNN and Fox news and, and let's, let's come together. Thank you so much, Lisa. appreciate you. Yeah.
1: Thank you.